I've got to do something really quick because Dr. Cole took a picture of this display and now I want to follow it up with a sequel because now what's different is all of you are gathered around it. So yeah, I'm going to take a picture and uh, I, won't, I won't put it out on far and wide social media, okay? I'm just going to, there's a, we've got a group within this West Ark group and if you want details on that, then uh, fill out that hello form, okay? And if any of you are in witness protection, let me know and we'll Photoshop you out, okay? All right. Because now you see the table and the folks are gathered around it. This is pretty good. All right. Some of you who are better photographers than me can do something with that later. I've been looking forward all week to this, and I've been looking forward to saying to you, welcome to the table of the Lord. Yeah, but I'm not going to say it yet. Now, I said it right there in the course of saying that I wanted to say it, but I didn't really mean it. Not the way that I'm supposed to mean it. Because I want us to understand what that means when we use that phrase, welcome to the table of the Lord. I mean, after all, is that just some churchy thing that we say? Uh, Sort of like the you know, the, the, the farmer's market call, let us stand, which tells us that it's time to stand up and sing a song. Think about it. Let us, let us stand. Okay, never mind. It was a bad joke to begin with. Now, you know, is this just some churchy thing that we say? Is it even a biblical phrase, the table of the Lord? Is there such a thing? What, what exactly are we talking about? And before I say to you, earnestly welcome to the table of the Lord I want us to come to an understanding I want us to understand what the table of the Lord is and if we want an understanding then it's right that we should go to the word of the Lord to find an understanding of the table of the Lord and and so many of us are used to hearing 1 Corinthians 11 when we come to the table of the Lord and there's there's a description of what Jesus said at the table of the Lord and some, some things are said by Paul the Apostle to the Corinthian church about their behavior and about their practices around the table of the Lord. But before there was a 1 Corinthians 11, did you know that there was a 1 Corinthians 10? Yes, there is. And if you go one chapter back, there's a discussion and the use of the actual words table of the Lord and I think this is important because in saying what he says in 1 Corinthians 10 he's setting up the core the hub the center of what the table of the Lord is so that then he can say some things about the way the rubber meets the road and they are practicing and behaving around the Lord's Supper table But before he says that, he wants to take them to the core. He wants to take them to the hub. So I want to read for us this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 14. The words will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your own Bible, that's fine as well. Hear the word of the Lord. So then, my dear friends, run away from the worship of false gods. I'm talking to you like you're sensible people. Think about what I'm saying. Isn't the cup of blessing that we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? 
Isn't the loaf of bread that we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there's one loaf, we who are many are one body because we all share the one loaf of bread. Look at the people of Israel. Don't those who eat the sacrifices share from the altar? Since uh, what I'm saying then, what am I saying then? That food sacrificed to a false god is anything? Or that a false god is anything? Or that a false, or no, verse 20, no. But this kind of sacrifice is sacrificed to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be sharing in demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or should we provoke the Lord? We aren't stronger than he is, are we? And, and this is a word about the table of the Lord that is worth paying attention to. I will point out that the term demons there, we tend to think of devils. And we tend to think of malicious evil spirits. But when they heard that word demon, they would think of any kind of supernatural, uh, invisible power. Good, bad, neutral, indifferent, it didn't matter. He's saying that is a table and a cup that is offered to some sort of spiritual power, be it pagan, be it something a little less than pagan, but whatever it is. And he says, do we really need to be confusing the table of the Lord with that? We'll come back to that in a moment. But you'll remember our familiar wheel. And how this wheel reminds us that our thinking about Scripture and the things that we do, there's a, there's a core, there's a hub, there are spokes that expand it out, that go to the rim, and the rim is where we have discussion, the sort of things that we do right here. This is where we are at the rim, where we're discussing these things, we're sharing these things, but it's at tread. That's where we put it into practice. Well, just a, a quick view of what is the word around the table. The body and blood of the Lord, those words are often spoken when it comes to the table of the Lord. The words of Jesus who said, do this in remembrance of me. Now I want you to know that those aren't magic words. Those aren't power words. But they are the words that give it shape. There's another symbol near this stage. That's the flag of the United States. You see that symbol? Most of us have an understanding of what that means. Now, it can mean different things to different people. But the, what it's supposed to mean, what it is meant to mean, is often embodied in things like the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You, you know how this goes, I hope. But whether you do or not, whether it's familiar to you or not, somebody is giving you a word that tells you what it means. Well, likewise, there is a core word about this table that tells us what it means. And it's of the greatest significance. When Jesus says, do this as often as you eat, as often as you drink, in remembrance of me. When Jesus says, this is the cup, my blood, of a new covenant not just sacrificial blood to get you off the hook, but a new covenant. Then there are the expanded stories of the Passover that leads into the meaning of this. 
the Last Supper, that night that he was betrayed when he was with his disciples. There's the Emmaus walk where he meets with, with Cleopas and Cleopas's friend and they share a kind of communion together on the first day of the week. We'll get to that in weeks ahead. And then there's those words that Jesus spoke. You see them recorded in John 6 when he talks about eating my flesh, drinking my blood. And it actually, he, he describes this in such a way that some of the people hearing him are offended by what he says. Because it matters. It's that important. At the rim, we have the examples of the Lord's Supper in Scripture. We have history that goes before us. We have our own experiences there. And that finally gets us to the point where we can start asking, how do we share in the table of the Lord? How do we remember this? And I point all this out to say that sometimes we come into the wheel backwards. We start trying to build a wheel from the tread inward. Hey, I've got this tread, I've got this inner tube, why don't I build a wheel inside of it? That's not the way you build a wheel. But we often get here and we ask, do you want the communion to come from the front or the back? Do you want to bring your own? Do we want somebody to serve it? Should we use Welch's grape juice? Can we use any fruit of the vine? Should we use watermelon juice? Can we have unleavened bread or leavened bread? What kind of bread? Does it have to be a matzo or is it not a matzo? We ask all of those tread questions before we even start at the hub. And we're going to spend the next five weeks appreciating what the Word of the Lord is about the table of the Lord. Three things I want to point out just today. Three ships. Number one, there's a common saying in Christianity It's a relationship, not a religion. I came across that in some writings this week. And I think if you really want to understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and if you want to understand what following Jesus is, you do do have to appreciate that it's really about a relationship, not a religion. That a religion is just a set of rituals, a set of practices. You can even go through the motions in a religion, and you can get everything done right. But it means nothing if you do not have a relationship with the living God and with your brothers and sisters who are also His children. It really tests us when having a relationship with some of our brothers and sisters is quite difficult. And we would rather not have that relationship. But when they're also the children of God, we've got to have some kind of relationship with everyone. And I think this is important. And when we get to the Lord's Supper table, what we see there is a relationship. But it can be reduced to a religion. It can be reduced to magic. There's a a strong theory that the words hocus pocus have something to do with the table of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever heard this. You've probably heard of hocus pocus. Some magician or somebody talking about something that's a bit fake. They'll say it's just a bunch of hocus pocus. How does that plane get up in the air and stay in the air? Oh, it's some kind of engineering hocus pocus. Something we don't understand. The theory goes something like this. That in the days of the Middle Ages, when most people could not read or write, and they certainly didn't understand Latin, even though the 
the worship service was being conducted in Latin, the priest is rattling off the, the liturgy in Latin. Nobody really understands it. But there's that one moment when you get to the table of the Lord and he says, hoc est corpus meum, which in Latin means, this is my body. And at that point, in some of those services, there'd be somebody there that would ring a bell and signify this is the moment when that ordinary bread becomes the body of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but if you couldn't read or write and you didn't understand the Latin and all of a sudden you hear a bell after hocus corpus meum, you're thinking, that's the magic words. That's the one that'll do it. And even if it was a parody of that, entertainers started using that term. Now, that's one theory about the origin of that. We can laugh about that and ha-ha, those Middle Ages types with their Latin worship and all that, but can't we do the same? And we can talk about institutions and ordinances and services and all of this and the elements and, and all of these big words and, and we have no relationship invested in it. Sure, it's an instituted ordinance with the prescribed elements, but who is it directing us to? Who is it all about if not the Lord Jesus Christ? The table symbolizes relationship. Even to this day, one of the reasons we put this visual up there, this visual has a lot of symbols on it. That table was made by a man who was my preacher when I was a teenager. It was a gift to Karen and I on our wedding day. And it became our family table for years. It's been retired and sitting in the garage now for a little while. So it's happy to be out and serving as a table for all of you. But every table has a symbolism. We talk about tables. We talk about round table discussions. The idea that we're all going to get together and talk. We talk about a table for two. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Hey, very timely sermon, right? The tables are about relationship, the family meal, the family table, getting together around the table. We talk about fellowship. Well, this table of the Lord also trades in the idea of relationship. And the words that are used in 1 Corinthians 10, it's that word koinonia. If there's one Greek word we probably know, it's koinonia. Because we know that that means fellowship, and that means potluck. Well... Not exactly. It's more than for potlucks. The koinonia is translated, you, re, you saw the translation we had this morning, and I, I don't know what it says in your text, but we become participants or sharers. It's a fellowship. We're sharing in. We're koinonia in the body and blood of the Lord. It's an association. And I ask you, aren't those sort of things, a participation and sharing, don't those have to do with relationships? They do. But in that relationship, we need to always remember whose table it is, and that's the issue of ownership. Whose table is this? It's good for us to say the table of the Lord. Now, this table here is no more the table of the Lord than your family dinner table, and I mean that positively and negatively. I mean that the table of the Lord is a concept, not just a literal table somewhere. Let's not make an idol out of it. 
But whether we gather around this table or those tables at the side, which once used to hold the communion in here, and now they still do. So if you forgot to get your communion set up when we are coming around the table of the Lord, you can go over there. There's a few samples of it. Whether it's a metaphorical table, whether it's a literal table, whether it's your family dinner table, wherever it is, we know that this table that we call the Lord's, where the Lord's Supper is served, it's the Lord's table, and that ownership is important. It means that He's the one who invites and serves at that table. We don't control that table. A few years ago, I was at a, uh, I was actually, it was the funeral for my uncle. And um, he had converted later in his life, and, and, and he was at a, uh, a church that practiced what we would call closed communion. So that during his funeral, when they're serving the communion, the priest informs everyone, okay, this is just for, and he's very nice about the whole thing, this is just for the members in good standing the rest of you we ask to stand by and pray quietly. And that actually meant me. I wasn't allowed to come to the table. Now, I don't want you feeling sorry for me. Okay, I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't offended. I thought the whole thing was, was rather interesting. But I did get to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I, I can't come to that table, but that's my uncle. I mean, I'm here for him because of that relationship. And if I'm, if I'm really coming to the Lord's Supper table, then I think I'll ask him if I can come there, not somebody else. Because he's the one that invites me. And we can get so caught up on who gets access to the table. Am I in? Am I out? Can I partake? Can I not partake? And the, the danger is when we start taking ownership of the table. Well, I don't know. We need to have a meeting about that. We'll get the leaders together. We'll discuss it. You'll have to pass a test. And, 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 we, and we get concerned, and, it, and it's a justified concern. I get it. I even get why I was asked at my uncle's funeral you know, not to partake. I get it. It's about a type of connection. But I want you to know this, that when we serve the communion here, if you're wondering, I don't know, should I partake? Don't ask me. Ask the one whose table it is. Ask the Lord. He will answer you. He is the one who serves this table. He is the one that owns this table. So go to Him. Now, if you need help going to Him to ask about that table... Yeah, I'll be glad to help you. Anyone here will be glad to help you. We would love to talk to you about what it means to come to his table. But you're going to have that discussion with him. And you need to define that relationship with him. Well, why can't I just go to some other table then if this is all so hard? What's wrong with those other tables? What's wrong with the tables of demons? Even if it might be a little bit of a religious table, I mean... Besides, a table of a demon, that's not really anything, is it? Does it really matter where? I don't know. 
Paul, and by the way, I want to refer you to Daniel Tigner's lesson this morning uh, on Paul's journeys in Corinth. He does a good job of describing this and does, does a great job of kind of moving through the whole arguments within Corinth. So I'll footnote that and encourage you to go to that if you want to know more. But Paul's basic point to the Corinthian church is, you know, maybe it's just not good for you to go to some of those places. Maybe it's just not good for you to associate with those other tables when you associate with the table of the Lord. There's some tables we don't need to have any business at those tables. You might say, well, you know, it's not really an issue for me. It's not really something I worry about. No, it may not be, but it still may not be a good idea. And honestly, we can turn every table, every communion that we have into our own table. I want the Lord's Supper table to be like this. I want communion to be like this. I want it this way. I want it that way. One of the things that we learned in the pandemic is that when we didn't come together and all of us were at home, we learned, wait a second, there's got to be a way to do this where we are all in connection. And that the Lord's Supper table that you prepare at home has no more special power than the one that we put together here. And in fact, one of the things that we learned, and we'll talk about this in the future, is that the togetherness is what matters. So every time we did those online-only worships, you know what the guiding principle was? Togetherness, togetherness. And still, when we do the Lord's Supper communion here, we are still aiming at togetherness with those who cannot be here. The emphasis on my own individual experience, even if I'm in a crowded auditorium and I want everybody else to be quiet so I can shut it out, I can make that all about me and that's my table of an idol, an idol called me. Or if I want to have an emotional experience, if I really want, I want you to turn the lights down, I want everything to be really special, I I want this kind of an experience at that. Why? Because I saw somebody else do it and I want to do it too. It can still be all about me. And everything along that spectrum, I can make it about me, and that's a table of idols. And when I come to the table of the Lord, when you and I come to the table of the Lord, we remember this is His table. And we are invited and welcomed, and we are served by Him. Who served those disciples on the night He was betrayed? Who served the one who would betray Him? Who served the ones that were arguing about who was at the right hand and the left hand. Jesus Christ. Finally, it's about fellowship. This is much more than potlucks. The fellowship that we have in the table, you know, and you think about fellowship, the word fellowship. It's about a friendly commitment. Fellowship isn't just about food and fun. Fellowship is about coming together in some sort of connected cause or devotion. Tolkien understood this when he, when he wrote to us about the fellowship of the ring. You didn't know that was a book, did you? You just thought it was a Peter Jackson movie. Well, it was a book first. And the idea that here these different, different individuals are all gathered together in a common cause to get rid of that evil ring and save the world. Okay. Well, likewise, you and I are gathered as different as we are in a kind of fellowship around a common table, 
around the same Lord, as different as we are. And so sometimes when we're wondering, you know, I don't know, church is going to split, church is going to fracture. How do we get through this? How are we going to make a difference here? What's, what's going to happen? Look to the table. Look to the table and see what it's all about. Look to the table and see that the cup that we bless is a fellowship. It's a koinonia in the blood of Christ. This morning as we're partaking of the blood of Christ, I want you to realize that we can all be covered by the blood of, the Christ, by the blood of Christ if we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. The loaf of bread is one, just like the body of Christ is one. We're gathered together in a fellowship. I want to recommend a book to you that I hope you will read. It's by um, a professor at, at Lipscomb, I believe, uh, John Mark Hicks. It's called Come to the Table. I believe we have copies in our library, but you can get it online. I first heard the material that's in that book before the book was published. Professor Hicks was speaking at a conference in Austin, Texas. And there was a group of us there. And I was fascinated by what was being said about the meaning of the Lord's Supper table. And later that day, here I was in my early 30s with some of my older mentors and a peer and we were gathered at a table and there was quite an argument going on at that table. It was an argument within the context of friendship. It wasn't an argument about the parties at the table, but it was an argument loaded with pain. It was an argument loaded with disappointment. And it was appropriate that it was being had at a table. But I didn't know what I was in for. I wasn't there as anything really except an observer. But there was a lot of discussion of, I'm not going to be a part of this fellowship anymore. I'm not going to be a part of this group anymore. They've done this wrong. They've done that wrong. And I started to despair. And the way I handled it then, well, the first thing I did was I tuned out. And so there we were in that Italian restaurant in Austin, Texas. A lot of difficult talk going on around the table I was at. And to my right side, and I still remember it was my right side, I look over and I see another table, a small table, a table for two. There's a young couple there. She's very beautiful and she's, uh, you know, just, it's so delightful. She just seems so happy. And her companion is this young man who is so gawky looking. It was hilarious. I don't know any other word for it. You know, I think he was uh, about, you know, seven foot five inches tall and weighed 30 pounds. And, you know, and you could tell that he worked so hard to comb his hair and it was still messed up. And, you know, and there he's dressed as nice as he can and his boots look all muddy. But he loves being at that table with the young lady. And I'm rooting for him. Because I'm disconnecting from my table of anger. And I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. And I told one of my mentors, I said, isn't that wonderful? I mean, this is a Valentine's Day story. Look at the relationship. Look at this table. I said, I want to buy their dinner. And he goes, no, no, don't do that. This is him. He's got to do this. Yeah. And in my mind and in my heart, 
they have lived happily ever after. This princess and this you know, frog uh, have, have lived happily ever after, and he's my hero. And that's relationship. That's table. And when we get all worried about it, I want you to understand that the king has invited gawky, awkward old me to come to his table. I can't quite comb my hair right. And I'm a bit of a mess and a frog. But he wants me at that table. That was the other thing about that table. You could tell she was delighted to be with him. She was so happy to be with him. Now, I don't know. That was real, but it's also imaginary. This is real and not imaginary at all. When you and I come to the table of the Lord, our Lord is delighted to welcome us to his table. Yeah, we got to dress up. Yeah, we got to think about what we're doing. You understand, I don't mean literally dress up. You understand that I mean we've got to shape up. We've got to come correct. We've got to, we've got to be prepared. Because this is a special event. And yet, it's one that we ought to delight in. Because we share in the blood of Christ. We share in the body of Christ. This song is a way of us expressing to one another. And I I want you to get out of your own tuned out shell and express this and share this. The purpose of singing is so we can communicate to one another. Here, we're singing to one another and saying, come to the table of mercy that's been prepared. This is how we will prepare to go to the table of the Lord.